part three section nineteen of the maine woods by henry david thoreau this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine part three the allagash and east branch section eighteen measured on the map moosehead lake is twelve miles wide at the widest place and thirty miles long in a direct line but longer as it lies the captain of the steamer called it thirty-eight miles as he steered we should probably go about forty the indians said that it was called mspame because large water squall mountain rose darkly on our left near the outlet of the kennebec and what the indian called spencer bay mountain on the east and already we saw mount kineo before us in the north paddling near the shore we frequently heard the pee-pee of the olive-sided flycatcher also the wood peewee and the kingfisher thus early in the morning the indian reminding us that he could not work without eating we stopped to breakfast on the main shore southwest of deer island at a spot where the mimulus ringens grew abundantly we took out our bags and the indian made a fire under a very large bleached log using white pine bark from a stump though he said that hemlock was better and kindling with canoe birch bark our table was a large piece of freshly peeled birch bark laid wrong side up and our breakfast consisted of hard bread fried pork and strong coffee well sweetened in which we did not miss the milk while we were getting breakfast a brood of twelve black dippers half grown came paddling by within three or four rods not at all alarmed and they loitered about as long as we stayed now huddled close together within a circle of eighteen inches in diameter now moving off in a long line very cunningly yet they bore a certain proportion to the great moosehead lake on whose bosom they floated and i felt as if they were under its protection looking northward from this place it appeared as if we were entering a large bay and we did not know whether we should be obliged to diverge from our course and keep outside a point which we saw or should find a passage between this and the mainland i consulted my map and used my glass and the indian did the same but we could not find our place exactly on the map nor could we detect any break in the shore when i asked the indian the way he answered i don't know which i thought remarkable since he had said that he was familiar with the lake but it appeared that he had never been up this side it was misty dog-day weather and we had already penetrated a smaller bay of the same kind and knocked the bottom out of it though we had been obliged to pass over a small bar between an island and the shore where there was but just breadth and depth enough to float the canoe and the indian had observed very easy make em bridge here but now it seemed that if we held on we should be fairly embayed presently however though we had not stirred the mist lifted somewhat and revealed a break in the shore northward showing that the point was a portion of deer island and that our course lay westward of it where it had seemed a continuous shore even through a glass one portion was now seen by the naked eye to be much more distant than the other which overlapped it merely by the greater thickness of the mist which still rested on it while the nearer or island portion was comparatively bare and green the line of separation was very distinct and the indian immediately remarked i guess you and i go there i guess there's room for my canoe there this was his common expression instead of saying we he never addressed us by our names though curious to know how they were spelled and what they meant while we called him polis he had already guessed very accurately at our ages 
and said that he was forty-eight after breakfast i emptied the melted pork that was left into the lake making what sailors call a slick and watching to see how much it spread over and smoothed the agitated surface the indian looked at it a moment and said that make hard padlum through oldham canoe so say old times we hastily reloaded putting the dishes loose in the bows that they might be at hand when wanted and set out again the western shore near which we paddled along rose gently to a considerable height and was everywhere densely covered with the forest in which was a large proportion of hard wood to enliven and relieve the fir and spruce the indians said that the usnea lichen which we saw hanging from the trees was called chorchorque we asked him the names of several small birds which we heard this morning the wood thrush which was quite common and whose note he imitated he said was called adelung quamuctum but sometimes he could not tell the name of some small bird which i heard and knew but he said i tell all the birds about here this country can't tell litlum noise but i see em then i can tell i observed that i should like to go to school to him to learn his language living on the indian island the while could not that be done oh yes he replied good many do so i asked how long he thought it would take he said one week i told him that in this voyage i would tell him all i knew and he should tell me all he knew to which he readily agreed the birds sang quite as in our woods the red-eye redstart veery wood peewee etc but we saw no bluebirds in all our journey and several told me in bangor that they had not the bluebird there mount kineo which was generally visible though occasionally concealed by islands or the mainland in front had a level bar of cloud concealing its summit and all the mountain tops about the lake were cut off at the same height ducks of various kinds sheldrakes summer ducks etc were quite common and ran over the water before us as fast as a horse trots thus they were soon out of sight the indian asked the meaning of reality as near as i could make out the word which he said one of us had used also if interrent that is intelligent i observed that he could rarely sound the letter r but used l as also r for l sometimes as load for road pickerel for pickerel sugal island for sugar island lock for rock etc yet he trilled the r pretty well after me he generally added the syllable um to his words when he could as paddleum etc i have once heard a chippeway lecture who made his audience laugh unintentionally by putting m after the word too which word he brought in continually and unnecessarily accenting and prolonging the sound into ma sonorously as if it were necessary to bring in so much of his vernacular as a relief to his organs a compensation for twisting his jaws about and putting his tongue into every corner of his mouth as he complained that he was obliged to do when he spoke english there was so much of the indian accent resounding through his english so much of the bow arrow tang as my neighbour calls it and i have no doubt that word seemed to him the best pronounced it was a wild and refreshing sound like that of the wind among the pines or the booming of the surf on the shore i asked him the meaning of the word musketicook the indian name of conquered river he pronounced it musketicook emphasizing the second syllable with a peculiar guttural sound and said that it meant dead water which it is and in this definition he agreed exactly with the st francis indian with whom i talked in eighteen fifty three 
on a point on the mainland some miles southwest of sandbar island where we landed to stretch our legs and look at the vegetation going inland a few steps i discovered a fire still glowing beneath its ashes where somebody had breakfasted and a bed of twigs prepared for the following night so i knew not only that they had just left but that they designed to return and by the breadth of the bed that there was more than one in the party you might have gone within six feet of these signs without seeing them there grew the beaked hazel the only hazel which i saw on this journey the dirvila rue seven feet high which was very abundant on all the lake and river shores and corna stolonifera or red osier whose bark the indian said was good to smoke and was called maquoxigil tobacco before white people came to this country indian tobacco the indian was always very careful in approaching the shore lest he should injure his canoe on the rocks letting it swing round slowly sidewise and was still more particular that we should not step into it on shore nor till it floated free and then should step gently lest we should open its seams or make a hole in the bottom he said that he would tell us when to jump soon after leaving this point we passed the kennebec or outlet of the lake and heard the falls at the dam there for even moosehead lake is dammed after passing deer island we saw the little steamer from greenville far east in the middle of the lake and she appeared nearly stationary sometimes we could hardly tell her from an island which had a few trees on it here we were exposed to the wind from over the whole breadth of the lake and ran a little risk of being swamped while i had my eye fixed on the spot where a large fish had leaped we took in a gallon or two of water which filled my lap but we soon reached the shore and took the canoe over the bar at sandbar island a few feet wide only and so saved a considerable distance one landed first at a more sheltered place and walking round caught the canoe by the prow to prevent it being injured against the shore again we crossed a broad bay opposite the mouth of moose river before reaching the narrow strait at mount kineo made what the voyageurs call a traverse and found the water quite rough a very little wind on these broad lakes raises a sea which will swamp a canoe looking off from the shore the surface may appear to be very little agitated almost smooth a mile distant or if you see a few white crests they appear nearly level with the rest of the lake but when you get out so far you may find quite a sea running and ere long before you think of it a wave will gently creep up the side of the canoe and fill your lap like a monster deliberately covering you with its slime before it swallows you or it will strike the canoe violently and break into it the same thing may happen when the wind rises suddenly though it were perfectly calm and smooth there a few minutes before so that nothing can save you unless you can swim ashore for it is impossible to get into a canoe again when it is upset since you sit flat on the bottom though the danger should not be imminent a little water is a great inconvenience not to mention the wetting of your provisions we rarely crossed even a bay directly from point to point when there was wind but made a slight curve corresponding somewhat to the shore that we might the sooner reach it if the wind increased when the wind is aft and not too strong the indian makes a spritsail of his blanket he thus easily skims over the whole length of this lake in a day the indian paddled on one side and one of us on the other to keep the canoe steady and when he wanted to change hands he would say the other side he asserted in answer to our questions that he had never upset a canoe himself though he may have been upset by others think of our little egg-shell of a canoe 
tossing across that great lake a mere black speck to the eagle soaring above it my companion trailed for trout as we paddled along but the indian warning him that a big fish might upset us for there are some very large ones there he agreed to pass the line quickly to him in the stern if he had a bite besides trout i heard of cusk whitefish etc as found in this lake while we were crossing this bay where mount kineo rose dark before us within two or three miles the indian repeated the tradition respecting this mountain's having anciently been a cow moose how a mighty indian hunter whose name i forget succeeded in killing this queen of the moose tribe with great difficulty while her calf was killed somewhere among the islands in penobscot bay and to his eyes this mountain had still the form of the moose in a reclining posture its precipitous side presenting the outline of her head he told this at some length though it did not amount to much and with apparent good faith and asked us how we supposed the hunter could have killed such a mighty moose as that how we could do it whereupon a man-of-war to fire broadsides into her was suggested etc an indian tells such a story as if he thought it deserved to have a good deal said about it only he has not got it to say and so he makes up for the deficiency by a drawling tone long-windedness and a dumb wonder which he hopes will be contagious we approached the land again through pretty rough water and then steered directly across the lake at its narrowest part to the eastern side and were soon partly under the lee of the mountain about a mile north of the kineo house having paddled about twenty miles it was now about noon we designed to stop there that afternoon and night and spent half an hour looking along the shore northward for a suitable place to camp we took out all our baggage at one place in vain it being too rocky and uneven and while engaged in this search we made our first acquaintance with the moose fly at length half a mile farther north by going half a dozen rods into the dense spruce and fir wood on the side of the mountain almost as dark as a cellar we found a place sufficiently clear and level to lie down on after cutting away a few bushes we required a space only seven feet by six for our bed the fire being four or five feet in front though it made no odds how rough the hearth was but it was not always easy to find this in those woods the indian first cleared a path to it from the shore with his axe and we then carried up all our baggage pitched our tent and made our bed in order to be ready for foul weather which then threatened us and for the night he gathered a large armful of fir twigs breaking them off which he said were the best for our bed partly i thought because they were the largest and could be most rapidly collected it had been raining more or less for four or five days and the wood was even damper than usual but he got dry bark for the fire from the underside of a dead leaning hemlock which he said he could always do this noon his mind was occupied with a law question and i referred him to my companion who was a lawyer it appeared that he had been buying land lately i think it was a hundred acres but there was probably an encumbrance to it somebody else claiming to have bought some grass on it for this year he wished to know to whom the grass belonged and was told that if the other man could prove that he bought the grass before he polis bought the land the former could take it whether the latter knew it or not to which he only answered strange he went over this several times fairly sat down to it with his back to a tree as if he meant to confine us to this topic henceforth but as he made no headway only reached the jumping-off place of his wonder at white men's institutions after each explanation we let the subject die he said that he had fifty acres of grass potatoes etc 
somewhere above oldtown besides some about his house that he hired a good deal of his work hoeing etc and preferred white men to indians because they keep steady and know how end of part three section nineteen recording by expatriate in bangor maine